Greetings, book lovers everywhere. I'm E-Train, and welcome to E-Train Talks. And today, I am thrilled to be joined by the award-winning author, attorney at law, reading advocate, and a jack of many trades, the amazing Gay Polisner. What? <laughs> Gay is the author of numerous middle grade and young adult books, including The Pull of Gravity, The Memory of Things, and In Sight of Stars, to name a few. The book <laughs> we're going to be talking about today, her newest novel... For middle grade readers, co-opted by Nora Raleigh Baskin, consider the octopus. Woo! It's a fun, entertaining, and powerful read, and I've been really looking forward to talking with Gay. She has been a huge supporter of my reading journey, and it's nice to find someone who cares so much about important issues, and even better, tackles the important topics in her novels. So without further delay, I'm honored to welcome Gay Polisner to E-Train Talks. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'm so honored, as you know, to be here with you. I think you're awesome. And I think you should leave that blah, 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 blah in. Because <laughs> I think it's really important for people to see you can be awesome and make mistakes. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. <laughs> I might keep that blah, 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 blah in. Um, Perfect. That's my dad. He makes the final edits. <laughs> and first of all, your books, they're, they bring me so much joy they are incredible they're inspiring just like you and the first question i have is so first of all consider the octopus in a brief summary it along with some of gay's other books he touches on the topic of ocean pollution for instance in her new book the protagonists try to spread the word about the great pacific garbage patch and all things ocean pollution while the story is a literary farce the great pacific garbage patch is real. And the fact is, many animals die from the pollution. In fact, after doing a Google search, I read that over 1 million marine animals, including mammals, fish, sharks, turtles, and birds, are killed each year from just plastic debris. Just plastic debris. And it's horrible. We need to do something. And that's why I'm so glad that Gay and Nora Raleigh Baskin wrote Consider the Octopus. And my first question is, everyone listening, myself included, would really like to know, what can we do to stay informed about this important topic, and how can we lead the fight for safer oceans? That's a great question. Um, and the book itself has resources in the back of the book. So one of the things you can do if you read the book and you're inspired to help is to look at the last couple of pages and reach out to those organizations on email or phone calls and say, hey, I'm a kid, but I want to help. How can I volunteer? And they will help you to do that. Um, I think the most important way, which is why we decided to write a book on the topic, is to just really get it and understand it and want to do something about it. Like that's step one. And I feel like I knew there was ocean pollution and plastic pollution but until I listened to this radio show on WNYC, I didn't realize how bad it was. And then I also saw a 60 Minutes on it, and that's where those Laison albatrosses were that literally have plastic inside their stomachs. And then once you, once you realize how bad it is, I think it's almost automatic for most of us to say, oh, wait a second. I kind of thought it was like no big deal if I didn't recycle my plastics or didn't try to use less plastic, but now I really get it. And then 
putting in the effort is easier, I think, when you get it. Yeah. When you really get it, when you really get any topic and you realize just how bad, maybe, say, ocean pollution or really anything is, you want to do something. I know I want to do something. And so there you have it, everybody. Oh, and here's here's one more thing, which is vote. And of course, kids can't vote, but what can they do? They can tell their parents and their aunts and uncles and their grandparents and their friends' parents, like, I really want you to vote for this person. And the reason I really want you to vote for this person is because they're strong on the environment and they want to help clean things up and that kind you know, whatever your issues are that are really important to you. I know kids feel like, well, I can't vote, so what can I do? But I remember my sister telling my dad, I really want you to vote for this person because I don't like the people you've been voting for. And my dad changed his vote back when we were kids. So I think there's a lot of power kids have. Yeah, kids really can make a difference, just like JB and Sydney and consider (laughs) the octopus. While we might not be able to go on a cruise and get in touch with a CNN reporter, I mean, maybe we can, we can really do anything. But maybe not that large of a scale. We can still convince our parents to vote for the leaders that we want to see in office. We The small things count. The butterfly effect. Like, maybe we do one thing, somebody else notices, they do something, and the world, it might not be a better place instantly, but maybe your good deeds inspired somebody else to do good deeds, and maybe your community is a safer place. So... That's why I absolutely love all middle grade books, especially Consider the Octopus, because they really, not only the stories, it's kids making a difference, but like Consider the Octopus, there are resources in the back. So you get an amazing story, and in the back, there are some resources as well, from Surfrider Foundation to Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution. I hope I'm saying oceanographic correct. That is a hard word to say. I was like, I don't know how to say that. (laughs) Yeah, I hope I did it. Correct me if I'm wrong. You're and and I just want to say that you are doing exactly what Sid and JB do. It may not be CNN, but and and it might be CNN soon. Hopefully, you are really. I think not just inspiring kids, but inspiring the adults around you who see. That's what I feel like when I see you. It's a reminder that I want to be a better adult because there are kids like you out there also being really amazing human beings. So thank you. And I'm sure all the kids who read your books are inspired by you. It's all the mutual admiration club. (laughs) It is. And I read that you're an attorney and you still practice at times, though you don't take on as many cases. Have your legal experience influenced your writing at all? Um. I think that, you know, all our experiences influence and inspire and affect who we are and how we do what we do. Um, I'm not sure I could have ever written a novel if I weren't a lawyer first, because it really required me to understand how to build a foundation. I don't have like an MFA. I don't have an advanced creative degree. But law school, surprisingly, like taught me how to build a foundation to tell a story that had to be very clear to a court. And because I knew how to do that, when I was like, 
Did you just sneeze? Yeah. Bless you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, you know, that like the writing foundation was really helpful for me to realize like, just because it's in my head doesn't mean it's clear on the paper. I need to make it really clear on the paper. So that was helpful. Um, the kind of law that I practice is family law and divorce law. Mm -hmm. So actually, you'll often find the issue of divorce, like even in Consider the Octopus, it's yeah. not one of the main issues, but you'll often find the issue of divorce coming up in my books. It was in, or or, or parents fighting. It was in The Pull of Gravity, The Summer of Letting Go, um, definitely Inside of Stars. You know, it's there a lot in my books. And so I think that, you know, it's such a huge part of my life to see how um, families that are falling apart and reshaping affect the kids that I often am grappling with that in my writing as well. Yeah. And I also noticed the divorce aspect and consider the octopus. Like it might be a tiny detail, but I feel like if you don't have those tiny details in your book, the book doesn't feel complete. Also, I'm sorry for sneezing. Um, oh, no, that's good. See, I think it's important that you sneeze. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, I can't, holding in sneezes did not feel good. It's kind not of good. <laughs> yeah, and I just, um, JB, he wouldn't be JB if his parents didn't split up and his mom was with Captain Jim, who, which he soon learns. Right, And right. all the characters in books, even if they're the smallest details, they wouldn't be themselves. So that's, and that's just another reason why I love Consider the Octopus. Thanks. Like the tiny things just make the largest difference. And yeah. that's yeah. both in life and in books. Yes, exactly. And 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 it's part of what puts pressure on JB to want to not give his mom any more stress. And so yeah. in doing that, he makes probably the worst decision he can make. And which kind of is like, the best decision. Right. Right, because it's fiction, but I'm not sure yeah. in real life mm -hmm. how that might have gone down. Yeah. <laughs> and I will say that, you know, above all else, I want to show you something funny. I'm not going to answer it, but look who's calling me. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did tell her I was on a Zoom with you, but she forgot. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that, you know, in, in real life, um, some of the things that happen in this book maybe would we'd be hard pressed to see them happen or they wouldn't be a great idea. And I did want to say above all else that it is a piece of fiction. It's a story. It's a story that we hope will inspire people, but yeah. we did want to also tell a great story and a fun story. We wanted to make our readers laugh. Um, I think that laughing is just as good a way to make people care about stuff as crying can be. Yeah. And so, but it is a story for sure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So from ocean trips to important and interesting facts about ocean pollution, Consider the Octopus is filled with a wide variety of topics. And I'm thinking you must have conducted quite a bit of research while writing the manuscript, both you and your co-author, Nora Raleigh-Baskin. So what are some resources you used for research? Um, one of the things that I did was just, you know, the kind of internet research anyone would do, um, making sure that it was from reliable, legitimate sources that um, could answer, you know, basic questions about the Great Pacific Garbage Patch and ocean pollution in general. But the other thing I did was watched um, 
some documentaries, including there's a really great documentary um, by Jack Johnson, the singer. I don't know if you know who Jack Johnson is. He's a, he is an awesome singer songwriter, but he cares. He, he lives in Hawaii, at least part of the year, and he cares a lot about ocean pollution. And he has a documentary called Smog of the Sea. And it was really important that I watched that documentary because that made it very clear to me that although there are these really big garbage patches where their garbage is visible to your eye and so you can see and feel the impact of it, those microplastics and smaller pieces of garbage are everywhere. They're not just in the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. Um, so we, you know, watching documentaries about stuff and some of the most fun, not about the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, but I had never been on a research ship and I didn't have the ability to just be like, let me go find a research ship and go be on it. Um, so I actually found a research ship that you could take a virtual tour of Whoa. and literally like go down into the cabin area and the mess and up on the bridge. And so stuff like that was really fun and helpful. And then um, I always do this with all of my books, but especially when I'm co-writing with Nora, it's really important. We keep a Pinterest board for the book and we'll put images or links to important things there. So since Nora and I are both in the same place on the Oceana too, we no need to both visualize it the same way. So like if I'm describing something, I might go put it up on our Pinterest board and then say to Nora, before you write your scene, look at the laundry room I put up there or you know the laundry baskets I put up there. Cause like literally I had to research how big a laundry basket you could get. And would that fit what, you know, we have the kids going in and out of the laundry baskets. Will they fit and will they, can they sleep in there and all of that. So um, there was a lot of fun research and a lot of upsetting research when you're researching yeah. ocean pollution. Well, that sounds like, wow, from documentaries <laughs> to virtual um, research ship tours, that sounds like. A lot of work, but also it sounds like interesting work. It and is. like, can you go on the research ship like anytime, or do you have do you have to pay money? Because I want to. No, no. I want to go on that. No, you. I'll send you the link after. Woo! <laughs> I want to be on a research ship on, on a computer in my house and in my bedroom. We also had an author, um, Karen Romano Young. Karen Young Romano. Karen. She's a friend of Nora's, so I apologize. It's either Karen Romano Young or Karen Young Romano. I think it's Romano Young. Um, she has been on a research ship and she is a science, she has a science background and she read the book for us after and also gave us some information about like, you got this right, but you didn't get this right. You might want to fix that, that kind of thing. I think that it would have been such a fun experience. It sounds like such a fun experience to just go on a virtual research ship, explore the internet and looking for reliable sources i i'm it sounds like a long process but i would have wanted to be on the same boat as you yes which is it, a, it's it's, it's, it's uh research can inspire stories so it's really fun to do when i first started writing fiction i thought i wouldn't really have to research much at all and yeah. i was kind of dreading it mm -hmm. and now it's my favorite part when i'm stuck i go research something and it often will lead me to character building or story yeah, and speaking of character building, the, there are so many amazing, like one of my favorite parts of Consider the Octopus is that each character really had a character arc. 
mm-hmm. if you don't know what that is, people listening, because I know that um, Gay probably does, um, a character arc is basically kind of a story behind the character. Like, I love backstories. Like, I know that a lot of people like the action, but I just think that the story behind characters, the backstory, the character arcs, it just adds so much depth to the stories. And I think that you did a really good job with that um, in Consider the Octopus, both you and Nora, even if it was like the smallest little thing. So you co-authored this book. Did you have any like kind of creative differences when you wrote the book? Is there like a very distinct bound? Like, should we know when Nora's writing or when you're writing? Or are you kind of similar? And how did it work? I think both. I think both of those things are true. That's a really interesting question. So, uh, consider the octopus is actually our second book together that's published. Mm-hmm. Um, Seven Clues to Home is our first book together, and really, this is our second manuscript together because we wrote a whole other manuscript wow. that was either young adult or adult, and we loved it, and our agents loved it, but it never sold to a publisher. So we already had a lot of writing together experience under our belt and we were friends. Um, And it's still hard to collaborate when you're doing something that personal. Uh, Seven Clues to Home wasn't hard to collaborate on at all because the book poured out of us and we were writing in two different timelines in Seven Clues to Home. My character, you know, from the outset has died. So he is hiding clues a year before for a scavenger hunt. And then a year later, her character, Joy, decides that she's finally ready to go look for the clues. So that's so we were writing in different timelines, um, different voices, male, female characters, et cetera. Um, and that one we wrote so fast and it was so easy and it was so delightful. Um, Consider the Octopus was a little bit more challenging because we're in the same timeline. We have to make these two characters who don't know each other come together. We have to try to write farce, which is really hard. It's much hard. You've heard people say like it's harder to do comedy than serious. It really is. Um, So it was a little bit more challenging and we had to sort of um, connect with one another a little bit more often than we might otherwise have to and brainstorm and make sure things were going to go the way we wanted them to go. But there were no real... um, like there was no real drama going on. In the first manuscript we ever wrote, there was a lot of drama, like, like you know, two creative people, two friends. Um, we had to work really hard to find that balance. And um, we came up with some ground rules. So like, you know, one of our ground rules would be, please don't read my scene until I'm done writing it because I haven't fixed it up and those kind of things. So we definitely had some like rules, but there was no, we loved the characters. We were having fun. Our biggest um, problem in the book was like, is this going to be funny? We want it to be funny. We want it to be a real farce. How far can we push it? Um, And so we write in Google Docs and we, Nora is an early morning person. She wakes up sometimes at like 4.35 in the morning and she would write her chapter in Google Docs. And then she would text me and say, whenever you want, I'm done. And I'm more of a late night, late morning person. And if I'm up early, I'm in the water swimming. So even if I'm up early, I'm not writing yet. 
So our timing worked out really well, like that we complement each other really well in that way. And at the base of it, no matter what was happening, I really admire Nora's writing and she really admires my writing. And I think that that like is the most important thing that there is a mutual admiration yeah. if you're going to collaborate with someone. You have to you have to remember the reason you wanted to collaborate in the first place and hold on to that and respect that. And so if she sent me a chapter and it wasn't where my brain would have gone with it in the first place, I'd have to say, wait, before you make any decisions about it, wasn't where you thought it should go. Don't forget you really respect and admire her as an author and she's won plenty of awards and she's put out <laughs> tons of books. Why don't you just give her the benefit of the doubt that maybe her way she did it is better than whatever way you were thinking. And you have to kind of be able to do that. Well, one thing that I noticed is that um, you added some very tiny Yiddish aspects to consider the octopus. Was that you or Nora? So thank goodness that is Nora because mm -hmm. I, we are both Jewish, but I am um, not practicing. I'm casually Jewish. And Nora knows much more about that stuff and um, so she was able to give that aspect of Sydney's life richness that I think also feels really authentic. And it really mattered to us. I know you've yeah. seen me on social media right now talking about how much anti-Semitism there is, um, which is maybe it shouldn't be, but it's, it's shocking to me because I grew up at a time where we thought, thank goodness, that the worst of that is over. So I feel like it's really important. I feel like when, you know, the book business is talking a lot about diversity, but often somehow Jewishness gets left out of that. And if it doesn't get left out, they go immediately to Holocaust books. And there's a couple of reasons why that's problematic. First of all, when people read about the Holocaust, they think, well, that's over. So now there's no more anti-Semitism which is not true. But secondly, I think it's really important to represent all kinds of Jewishness. And there's a lot of diversity in Jewishness, including people who are born Jewish, but don't practice. But their Jewishness is more um, value-based and the things that are important to them. And um, it's still a part of who I am. I think even though I don't practice at all, being Jewish has definitely influenced who I am. So, so I was really glad that Nora was able to bring that to Sydney. Are you working on any other middle grade or children's book projects we can look forward to? And are you in like the revising stage or <laughs> the idea phase or just any phase? All of those. Um, I, uh, I have had, a I had a hard time during the pandemic feeling creative. And even before with all the political stuff, I became you know, after the election, I was really spending a lot of time trying to be an activist and speak out and do things I had never done before about the world. And I think that took a toll on me, too. It was really hard and scary and frustrating with everything going on. Um, and I wasn't feeling particularly creative. So I actually found another artistic outlet and I was doing some art. Um I was doing some collaging and I ended up doing, uh, you and I, before we got on camera, we we're talking about my son who lives in LA, his music, but I actually do his album covers. So, wow. uh, which is such a great thing. Like it's so much fun and they are collaborative too. Um, you know, he tells me what his vision is and then I 
try to execute it and also bring more to the table. But um, so I wasn't writing a lot, but I have a bunch of started manuscripts and I had a manuscript that I didn't know whether it was middle grade, young adult, adult. Um, that's a complete novel in verse, the whole thing. And my agent had loved it and it never sold to a publisher oh. and I put it away, but I recently brought that back out and I'm trying to rewrite it and not care whether it's middle grade, young adult or adult. I'm just trying to find the emotion to the story and revise the manuscript and then I'll see what happens with it. So that's what I'm working on right now. Well, I love novels in verse, so I'm so excited to hear that. <laughs> we caught a glimpse of a couple of years ahead into Sydney and JB's futures at the end of Consider the Octopus. And I am longing to know more about what's next for them. We got the what's next, but what's next next? Are they going to be still friends in the future? Do you think they'll be like multimillionaires who are making, who are saving the world? Where will they be? That's a great question. And my, my, my real answer is wherever you want them to be. That's the fun thing about the end of a book is True. you get to imagine for them whatever you want to imagine. Um, I definitely think JB is the life of the party, no matter yeah. how old he gets and where he goes and that he has that fun loving side to him. I definitely think he and Sydney stay friends for a long time. I don't know how long, but a long time. And, um, and that's all I know. <laughs> the okay. rest you get to make up whatever yeah. you want that, you know, I, I think they'll probably always care about environmental issues and make it a part of what they're doing. <laughs> Was there someone who inspired you to pursue writing, a parent, teacher, author, or role model? I mean, I did not think about being a writer until I was married with my first child. I never, it never even occurred to me. So in some regard, the answer is no, because it wasn't like I saw this person and then I was like, oh, I'm going to be an author. I have had many people who have inspired me to write because they supported my writing. Like when I was in elementary school, my teacher, Mrs. Stanley, loved my poetry that I wrote and my short stories. And in college, um, my professor for creative writing there, you know, used to be like very effusive about my short stories and poetry that I wrote there and the kids in the class were. But I wasn't thinking at any of those points in times about being a writer. I was thinking I'm going to be a professional of some sort. And I ended up, as you said, going to law school. Um, and even when I was working at a law firm, people always wanted me to write their briefs and their motion papers, because especially in family and divorce law, which I did, you know, that's what I was doing then. I don't litigate anymore, but I was litigating back then. It's one of the areas of law that you have to really paint a picture for the court because it's what's going on in the family that's making it that they can't really be that same kind of family unit anymore. So Whereas maybe in another area of law, nobody would have cared how good my writing was. When I was writing divorce papers, all of the senior lawyers would always be like, let's get gay to write our papers. So I knew I was a good writer, but I wasn't even thinking about being a writer. I was just writing to get back to like my the creative side of myself and, and 
it wasn't until I finished a manuscript and people started complimenting it that I thought, oh, maybe I could be a writer. So I have my my desire to write well and tell certain kinds of stories have been inspired by, you know, the 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 authors I read when I was a kid. You know, I want when I decided I was going to write a book for kids, which was the pull of gravity for young adults, um, Judy Bloom and Paul Zindel and the kinds of authors I loved, you know, I went back and revisited some of their books, asking myself, why did I love those books? What was it about them? And it was always, for me, character over story. It was always that I needed to, it didn't matter how big or crazy or interesting the story was, if I didn't care about the characters, then I didn't care to read the book. And so that is, in that way, I was inspired to be a particular type of writer, which is hopefully to write characters that regardless of what's going on in the book, people care about. And I'm also curious, like what's the boundary between young adult books and middle grade? Because I know that you've written both. Yeah. Um, so readers tend to like to read up. So it's really interesting because when you're talking about middle grade, you're really talking about characters who you start middle grade in like at like age 12, right? Like six, usually sixth grade. Yeah. So you're either, you're 12, you're not, seventh grade is 12, 13. So even though it's called middle grade, you wouldn't be reading up if you were in eighth by seventh, eighth grade, those kids are reading young adult because they're reading up. So really the boundaries are a little bit weird because a book like Consider the Octopus or Seven Clues to Home is really good for like a really sophisticated or capable um, third grader all the way up to say, let's, let's say maybe seventh grade, right? By eighth grade, maybe if they weren't a book reviewer or someone who really was willing to, you know, look outside their typical zone of reading they would eighth graders would be reading young adult so the the demarcations of middle grade and young adult have more to do with the age of the character at least in my mind the main character or main characters than it does with who's actually reading the books so middle grade would be a character who's in the sixth seventh eighth grade spot which means it's being read by kids who are younger and young adult they really want the kid to be like 15, but really 16 or 17. And your readers are coming from the grades below that. My final question <laughs> of the day is, well, we all know what it is. If you've listened to any of my interviews, the final question is always the same. If you could be or meet any literary character, fictional or real, from any book, any time period, anybody related to books, who would it be and why? So I have to admit that I missed the meet part of the question and I only read or heard the who would you be part of the question. So oh, that okay. affects my answer a little bit, but I'm still going with my answer. So I wanted to tell you that this was a really hard question for me and it kind of circles into what we're talking about, which is there aren't a lot of characters in the books that I've read that I would want to be because they're all going through such hard things, right? And they're all so deeply flawed and the people around them were flawed. So I was thinking about this all last night 
And I came up with the silliest answer, but I'm sticking with it. We love sitting here. I'm sticking with it. I would like to be either frog or toad. Yes. <laughs> from frog and toad, because they're such good friends. And no matter what happens, they stand beside each other. And I know that is the corniest answer in the world, but I've actually had times in my life where I've really struggled with feeling like my friends have stood by me when I was younger and even now in life. And so I was thinking that I would really like to be frog and toad because they just know that no matter what happens, they've got each other's froggy backs. Yeah. <laughs> I am cheering. There are fireworks going off in my heart right now. I love that answer. I like I cannot believe it. I went like I had never thought of that answer before, but now that I think about it, that's the perfect answer. We all need friends by our sides. And Frog and Toad, no matter how old you are, you gotta love the short Frog and Toad stories. They make yep. your heart sing. They do. And, like just that answer, it rem- I, it reminds me that I need to read Frog and Toad again. <laughs> that's a ten out of ten answer in my book. Thank just you. like your book. They're Thank both you. ten out of ten. And I can see why I consider the octopus was so great because you're amazing. And everybody, my guest today has been the amazing Gay Paulsner, author of Consider the Octopus and many other young adult and middle grade books. Gay, your answers to my questions were insightful and interesting. And especially that frog and toad answer. Oh, my my heart. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. And you keep doing what you're doing and I'll keep sharing what you're doing because it's awesome. What you're doing is amazing, too. I love that you use both books and your social media profile to basically tackle important topics, whether it's ocean pollution or, like, anti-Semitism. You are also making a difference. And I said this before, like, adults, they they always say that kids, like, oh, kids give us hope, give them give them hope. But people like you give kids hope. What you're doing really inspires us. Because the world is a scary place. Um, There are a lot of bad people out there. But knowing that there are good people like you, it just inspires us to be even more good. And we know that we have some people by our side rooting for us. So thank you so much for everything you do, Gay. And everybody, you need to check out Gay Paulsner's Twitter, at Gay Paul. The link is in the description and also her website. I learned a lot of interesting facts there. And um, in her about section, you get to see a bit of some of her short stories from when she was younger. And I love them. Mm. And I just, I, I wish I, like, I had the creativity that Gay did. Like, those poems, they may be <laughs> short, but they also, like, you were an activist from a young age, and that's who I hope to be. Whether you are, whether you already are, you're oh, doing thank it. You. <laughs> whether you're writing a poem about the Vietnam War, you're so, ex- or maybe writing a um, young adult or middle grade book now, you've always been so expressive. And just keep being you. I know it doesn't mean much from an 11 year old like me, but you are an inspiration. You are hope. Thank I'm you. so glad. Thanks for having me. 
I'll see you around the internet yeah. until next time. Yeah, that's all for now, everybody. Stay safe, keep reading, check out Gay's books. You're going to love them. I know I do. And I'll see you in the next one. Bye.